Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today we're gonna chat about Hop. And now we cannot turn our eyes away from this company. They are on fire. And their CMO, a friend of mine, Anthony Kanata, is joining us to chat about why he joined who can blame him? I mean, if you haven't heard the Hopin story, you're probably hiding somewhere. They came out of nowhere, founded in June 2019, and obviously the pandemic has accelerated our focus on virtual events. I found them myself about a year ago, became a customer in the last year. I used them on an event I spoke at for SaaS stock, and I just thought, this is simple, it's clean, it's refreshed, and so much virtual software that we know can become tired or old. And yes, we've got Zoom, but we've all got Zoom fatigue. This was something new and exciting. Now, for Anthony, you'll hear him talk about why he decided to join. For him, he's always had a passion in events, and what Hoppin's doing is truly revolutionary. If you're not aware of the actual success they're seeing, in under two years, they're already up to 70 million in ARR. That's fantastic. A huge acquisition of the StreamYard platform. And more recently, at the beginning of March 2021, they raised $400 million at an apparent $5.65 billion valuation. These stories don't come along very often. And today, we've got their CMO joining us. Here we go with Anthony. Anthony, thank you for stopping in. Uh, you must be running in circles right now. Hopping is on fire and you're what, like two months in? Not not even, three, three weeks in. So yeah, it's uh, I'm uh, catching my breath still a little bit, but it's been, been an awesome ride so far. Amazing. Well, I, I'm first curious how this opportunity came to you because you, you are a CMO that's been with really successful companies already. So you've earned the opportunity to, to pick, but this is a company that's truly on fire. I mean, you know, five and a half billion dollar valuation in about two years. That story doesn't happen very often. Yeah, no, no it doesn't. Um, yeah, for me, I mean, I, I I can't not start at the beginning. Like I, I've had a uh, bent towards events my whole life, like before I even uh, knew that I wanted to be a marketer or be in tech or whatever. I was on like prom committee in high school. Uh, my job in college was to put on concerts for uh, Pepperdine University. So uh, it was just kind of something that that I kind of grew up with and and always enjoyed doing. And so fast forward, you know, I think our, and I know we're gonna talk about this later, but our careers sometimes are interesting looking backwards and you see the journey kind of unfold where you're not totally conscious of it kind of as you're going through it. But there's been this like uh, common thread of events and experiences that have been a big part of, of my career. Um, and Gainsight was really the big one, right? Where we built the Pulse Conference uh, for customer success and built that whole community. I, I left Gainsight. I uh, wanted to actually start a uh, company in this space. And so I joined Battery Ventures as an EIR to build this kind of event tech startup um, idea that I had. But turns out entrepreneurship is a lonely journey. And I, I, I just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't cut out for it at the end of the day. 
and as that was happening, I met the amazing team at Front who brought me on board as CMO and I loved kind of everything we were doing there. Was with them for about 15 months. And honestly, uh, I got uh, a LinkedIn message from Armando over at Hopin telling me that they're about to start looking for a CMO and just wanted some feedback on, on the role. And giving you this context, you can imagine, you know, having the, the event background, um, having the experience at Gainsight that wanted me to start a, a company in this space is one of those too good to be true type moments. And this is before, I mean, at the time they're worth 2 billion. So not, not to, nothing to throw a stick at or whatever, but I, I thought that this was a chance to help co-author the future of the events industry, a community that I care so deeply about. Um, and that was the, the reason for joining. So hard to leave uh, front, but you know, this was sort of a once in a lifetime type thing. Well, listen, when, when the right opportunity calls like that, you got to lean in. I, you know, yeah. People won't see this right now, but we're on video together. And I, I can tell you're an, an LA Lakers fan. Yes. And I can only imagine that if Magic Johnson called you and said we had a cool gig, yes. yeah, that would also be hard to say no to. Totally. totally. That's always the one. I'm like, man, I love my job. But if they call... I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'm curious in, in terms of the companies that you've chosen to be part of and, and being an EIR, like you said, is also very much about looking to the future, taking a gamble. I, one of the things I know you did is you wrote a book on category creation. When you think about joining a company like Hopin, I mean, the event space, as you said, it's, it's not new. You've been doing it since prom. But yeah. the approach here feels new. I mean, the wind behind Hopin does not feel like some of the antiquated software that might be out there. We won't trash anyone, but you yeah, know, there's yeah. a lot of crap out there in this space. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think the the common thread isn't terribly new, right? Like we have, and I know you're very passionate about this, like we have a desire to connect our companies with our customers. We have a desire to build community. Uh, we have a desire to create experiences that delight and educate. Like these are things that aren't aren't new, but the world has evolved, right? And, and COVID is is a, an example of this that really helped us, but has forced us to to change and to to reexamine uh, how we think about some of these norms. How do we think about community? How do we think about all this in a world where we can't actually get together in person? And so that innovation that came from from the pandemic has helped evolve kind of event, the event space in general, but not from a place of, you know, Hey, now we have this virtual thing and it's going to be a core part of the stack, uh, which I do think, I think we will have, but even in-person events in the future are going to learn a lot from, um, from this whole COVID experience, because what we found is if we have a digital component to our events there, are, we can increase our reach as a, as an event team or a brand team or whatever, and reach a whole bunch of folks who can't afford the flight perhaps or get the budget to go to Moscone Center in San Francisco. Maybe they're, they have a family commitment or maybe they have a, you know, God forbid, a, a, some you know, physical ailment that doesn't allow them to actually get on a flight. We're able to make our in-person events and our community efforts much more inclusive and accessible. And by reaching that audience, get even a better ROI out of high ticket price and budget items, right? Events are not cheap to put on. So these learnings, I think we're gonna, uh, you know, I think Hopin was right place, right time, but we're gonna bring this with us into the future of events as we move forward. And so I think that's a part that's really, really exciting for me and, and having a chance to help kind of lead through that. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, you mentioned that you didn't know much about Hopin in terms of being a user before, but yeah. you like many marketers at front, probably had to realize I've got to adjust. I mean, yeah. the 
the world of going in person and meeting with people. And I don't know if that was part of the front go-to-market strategy, mm -hmm. but what have you seen in terms of marketers saying, okay, we're going to put budget to attending these other events or being involved in other events? I, I, I'm still seeing a lot of marketers say, I'm going to throw an event. I'm going to try yeah. and stand out from the crowd. But what about your thesis in terms of how you can be part of someone else's event? Mm -hmm. yeah, good question. I mean, I think certainly the bar to actually put on your own event is lowered. You don't need to negotiate a, you know, hotel room like buyouts, right. For, for a city to put, put some of these things on. So your ability to spin up an instance of hop in and, and, and start building your event is a lot easier. So that has led to more folks doing their, their own. It's not dissimilar from our overall needs as, as marketers. We're trying to, you know, engage audiences that we can pull folks into our funnel and, you know, they can, uh, understand our core value proposition, and hopefully, if they're the right persona, engage in a buying process with us. So, how do we? The question of just how that happens, you know, we we've been forced to to innovate on. We do see companies, obviously, like we have a big uh, Hopin has a big um, like digital booth type feature. So there is innovation coming in how we actually create spaces for brands to have conversations with with uh, our audiences. I think that very quickly, you know, it's very similar perhaps to what happens at events like Dreamforce, where having a booth is table stakes. So you go and you have a digital presence at a event that's powered by Hopin or whatever other kind of platform you may be using. And it's a great place to get some leads, some traffic, and you're, you can demo and, and all that good stuff like you would at a Dreamforce booth. But recall around Dreamforce, people are doing events around the conference. They are booking Absolutely. like bars, you know, down the street and branding them out. And so I think there's opportunity for a lot of companies to innovate around not just having a booth presence around these digital events, but get creative. How can you, how can you stand out? Um, how can you rise above the noise? Can you either get something, a cool activation happening at the booth that's different than your competitors, where it's not just a demo, but it's a whiskey tasting event, or I don't know, whatever it is, something that's, that's kind of is a experience that you're creating in platform. Can you do things out of the platform? Um, can you do direct mail to some folks that you know may may or may not be attending? So I think it's it, it's it's definitely something that's evolving. But also as we get back to in person, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how there's both on site and digital activation of third party sponsorships. Absolutely, and then I want to get back to this new norm of events and what they might be. We'll do that after the break. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit more. You hit on this idea of Hopping calls you, you love what they do, you make this change in your career on the fly. Now, at the same time, when, when you joined Gainsight, which is a company that's had amazing success, a recent, a recent exit through an investment by Vista Equity Partners, uh, that is, you know, fantastic at 1.1 billion. I mean, that's, that's really exciting, given, as you said, you came in there as the founding CMO. How do you pick these winners? I, I know that that's a very <laughs> simple question, but that's what everyone here is wondering. Like, yeah. how do you get in the door in these situations? And obviously, you're a super creative person. You know, you've you've called yourself a B two C marketer in a B two B body yeah. before. But help me help people understand how you find these opportunities, how you get in the network to be called for them. There's a lot, right? Like I think there, you can piece it back to 
I think a couple core principles. Um, and you know, again, like we talked about when we opened, this isn't something that I necessarily knew as I was going through it, but things that only now in retrospect, like make a lot of sense. The first was, um, find it, like your relationships in your career are the most important currency you can have like hands down. And when you find people that are, you know, perhaps share the same value system or they're, you know, equally as ambitious, or they're maybe a few steps ahead from a network perspective, but they're well-respected and, and, and cared for in the market, like hold on to them. And especially if they're going to champion you and, and, and help you along the way. So my story begins leaving Box. Uh, I was fortunate to, to be at Box in the early days. I was ready to leave. There were some reasons, you know, I wanted to move on. I went on Craigslist and I searched business development reps in Los Angeles, California, which in 2009 had like two returns, I think, on Craigslist. Okay. Luckily for me, on the other end of that Craigslist uh, ad was Nick Meta, who would become the CEO of Gainsight. And he brought me on to run, basically to manage a BD partnership at the, our last company, Live Office. Worked hard at Live Office. And, you know, eventually we sold the company to Symantec. Nick was going on to start to join the company that would become Gainsight. And he, the story is he remembers like a PowerPoint presentation that I did in the meeting that stood out to him like one day on a random like Tuesday. And he's like, that guy might be a good marketer one day and asked me if I wanted to talk to him about potentially joining this effort as, uh, as the head of marketing. I was in product at the time and I'd never done marketing before, but I knew when Nick called like whatever he could offer me, like, you know, a front desk job or a HR job or whatever, I would do it. Like anything he would ask, I would do it because I knew, you know, the type of person he is and the type of um, you know, opportunity that represents. So first I would say is like really build great relationships and nurture those relationships in, early in your career. But Gainsight was to your point, kind of my first big opportunity from, from that perspective. And I think one thing that I've learned through that uh, experience is um, sharing your story. Like sometimes I think a lot of people, might feel a certain kind of way on like nervous. I'm coming onto a podcast or writing a blog post or whatever, uh, because they're like, gosh, I, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't know. I don't want to come across a certain way or whatever, but what, what I found is the more often you're willing to share your story or share some learnings that you've had along the way or connect with people that are maybe one step behind you or whatever, half step behind you that pays benefit o- over time. And so for example, the idea for the book, wasn't like preconceived. It was, Hey, I didn't have a playbook for how to create a category. Uh, I had like some theory that, you know, there's a great book out there called play bigger that talks about the theory behind, uh, uh, category creation, but I didn't have a, a toolkit that I could use to go and actually talk to my CFO or, or board and say, Hey, here's what we're doing. And so I wanted to build the operator's manual for how to actually create a category. So all of these things, I think everything from like the podcast to writing on LinkedIn to, you know, having a chance to write a book, they're all in the spirit of trying to pay it forward and educate the community of people that, that are either in the same industry that you're in or whatever. And I, I suspect that had something to do with it looking back because, you know, with front, certainly I think that helped get on the radar and, you know, potentially with, with Hoppin as well. Fantastic. Uh, it sounds like Nick's your, your secondary magic Johnson. So we'll, we'll <laughs> yes. leave it on that mark. We'll take a short break here. On the marketer's journey, we'll be right back with Anthony. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. 
Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. One of the things you hear from Anthony is the importance of the relationships that you have. And, and I think this is so true and it really pushes the importance of taking every call, being open to network with new people. As he put it, he got these two opportunities, these career transforming opportunities because of his network, because of the relationship he had with Nick, the impression he made with him, because he took this call from someone at Hoppin, even though he was very happy in his current CMO role. And I'm not suggesting to go jump. That's the last thing I'm suggesting. I think there's a lot of value to staying with the company, but when transformational opportunities are put in front of you, like this one with Hoffman, like the one of what was being sold at Gainsight, these are opportunities that we need to give consideration to in our career. And it's okay to take a look and see what's out there. You never wouldn't know what's gonna present. So Anthony, I want to get back to events and you know specifically virtual events, but not just them, perhaps because I I look at what you built at Pulse and it mm -hmm. was amazing, right? Like there was such a following, it grew to such a level that I remember reading articles saying like, "Is Pulse the next Dreamforce?" Mm -hmm. And and that's exciting, but sometimes I take a step back, I look at an event, and I'm like, "What makes this event unique?" Right? Like yeah. you got speakers, you got a venue, yeah, maybe you get a cooler venue than the next guy, maybe you get a better speaker. Yeah. But it, there's something usually that I can say it's the vibe, right? It's it's the way people connect. It's the the way they, they handle downtime. How do you envision that coming into the virtual events? Yes. Yeah. Because right now it's kind of like we turn on our screen and we're watching TV. Yep. How, how do you make it special in a virtual sense? And what have you learned from in-person events that you can bring? Well, yeah. And it, it's, it's funny you mentioned Pulse. I mean, I think... A, there's sort of the table stakes of event production, which you just mentioned, right? Like you get people there, you have speakers, agenda, and food, right? But food and tea, food and tea, exactly. <laughs> but but a, a big reason I think for Pulse's success was that we treated it more like entertainment. Like we wanted to find ways to actually stand out, and we did things that you don't normally do at a at a conference. We had like Vanilla Ice do a surprise performance at 9 a.m. We slimed our CEO on stage. We had themes where the conference was 90s themed and we encourage our attendees to actually dress in like their favorite 90s garb. We recreated an episode of Friends Live with impersonators. It was a terrible, terrible thing, but <laughs> people appreciated the effort. But you get the idea, like we tried to create an experience around this business conference that made it stand out and that vibe you're talking about, hard to measure, but like it's, it's definitely, I think the thing that makes in-person events so powerful. And so my sense is that's how, that's one of the big lessons for the digital world is how can we create these experiences 
that make it more than just like, you know, the, the Zoom fatigue that we're all prone to for being on calls all day. We have to find ways to, to reach out. And the example I like to give is like one industry that's figured this out is the sports industry. So we all can pay a premium to go to a basketball game or go in person to a, a baseball game or whatever. And we do it because we want to be around our community that shares our values. We're rooting for the same team. We're like enjoying, you know, cheersing, high-fiving, and we can be up in the nosebleed section. It doesn't matter because we were there. We were there for that experience. And when you think about that, that doesn't discount the millions of people that are watching the event from home on TV and they're watching it for free in most cases. But what is it about that digital experience? Well, it's not a camera from the nosebleeds. It's you get it's a digital first experience that's built and creating value for viewership. It's give, it gives you better than front row seats camera. It gives you uh, sideline reporting. It gives you a chance to hear from commentary from from former players or analysts or whatever. And it's all packaged for the screen. And so I imagine there's a big uh, uh, change coming in event production in the future where we're going to start creating these digital first uh, experiences that sit on top of our live events. It's more pressure on the event producers, but I think for a chance to get that extra reach, get that better ROI, it's going to be worth it in the end. And the second bit is interaction. And so the difference between watching TV and, and attending an event is your ability to actually interact with other attendees, potentially with speakers and other things. And so we see this trend in like consumer vi you know, video games, the gaming industry with Twitch. People are watching people play video games, but they're, you know, they're going nuts on chat and they're connecting and they're doing all this other stuff. So that's, uh, I think, a big opportunity as well. And you know, I think companies like Hopin and, and others help kind of power that interactivity that otherwise would be just a, you know, one way kind of uh, uh, viewing experience. Those are great examples. And, and you're right. I mean, you know, generally I prefer to go to the sports yeah. arena, stadium, whatnot. Football is a sport, though, that I feel like the coverage at home yeah. is almost better. Totally. Right? And, you know, football has been criticized for that. And it's it's a great point. Is It's how do we create that in-home experience? Yeah where there's more than one screen, there's more than one angle. I, I think that, that you're onto something. The, the challenge, I guess, is going to be how does technology make that easy when you don't have a massive production team behind mm -hmm. the football production that, yeah. that I'm sure ESPN has. Totally. Uh, and, and that's obviously the, you know, the excitement mm -hmm. of what's to come with, with a platform like Hopin. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think the what's nice is the agency community that typically will support these these events and again everyone you know when we talk about events there's a long tail of you know small in-person gatherings to kind of massive conferences but you know i think that like video technology has evolved streaming technology has evolved you know i think our ability to actually produce some of this stuff isn't um a step function higher in terms of expense but i think the creative bar is really high and it goes back to actually your question earlier about um how do we sponsor some of these things you know, using the sports analogy, again, people watch the Super Bowl, but the commercials are a big part of the why they watch them. Are there ways to come up with activations within the core programming that gets your brand exposed? If you know you have a captive audience of 10,000 people that are within your, you know, buyer set or persona, core personas. Absolutely. No, I, I think there, there are definitely opportunities and, and I've seen some done well. I was uh, speaking at an event uh, in the last few months I'm worried as to whether it was on Hopin. So I apologize. <laughs> all good, all I think good. it was on Hopin, but I'm sure it was great. Uh, <laughs> anyways, the, the key that they did was they sent me a, a package to my home that complemented the virtual event. 
and there was cool. it was filled with elements that I was to bring out on different days. And and it, and I think to your point, it's how do we align that from a sponsorship perspective to yeah. say, okay, great, we're going to send you something, and you shouldn't open this box until two p.m. on the second day. Totally. On the totally. second day, those are the ways that we can really stand out. And I think. You know, I'm really excited to to see what comes from Hop, and I, I've been a customer at Uberflip for almost a year now. And you know what what excited me about it was the simplicity of it, mm-hmm. right? And, and and again, like we're talking about here, that's why I think Hopin's one to date. The, the exciting mm-hmm. thing will be how do they build on in a simple way elements that that still make it unique and special from the yeah. person beside us. And and I think that's going to be a big challenge. For us as marketers, yeah, whether we're using Hopin or whether we're using any other platform, I, I think that's exactly that's what what I was going to share. Um, I think that the best we can hope for out of any technology product is that, from a utility perspective, it gives us the tools that we need to execute whatever it is we're trying to do. But the pressure is on the marketers, right? I think we've got to figure out uh, both we being at Hopin, like how do we actually help answer some of these strategic questions that that, that you're asking and help find stories and anecdotes from our customer base that can help us kind of uh, illustrate what's possible with Hopin. But at the end of the day, uh, all of us that are producing these events are going to have to figure out like, how can we stand out from, from the noise or how can we really Absolutely. build an experience that connects? And the best hope we can have is that the technology, you know, and we'll, we'll do everything we can to activate, uh, advocate for this on behalf of your audience can, can keep up and can actually help power a lot of that innovation. Well, I know, I know I'm getting into the weeds with the Hopin platform, and this, this is more about the strategy, but a good example of that, I, I was recently prepping to speak at the SaaS stock event. Mm. They had a CMO blueprint event, and, and I was involved, and, and I was on a prep call, and there was a product that I, I now know Hopin had acquired called StreamYard. StreamYard, yeah. And I asked the, the production person, Lizzie, I said, you know, why are we using this? You know, I, I use Hopin, we don't use this. And she said, no, it's it's what you can do to layer on top that's exciting yeah. here. It's the production level that you can take this to. And, and she, she talked about how simple it still was. Those are some of those elements, like you said, of creating that, you know, stay-at-home football totally. through the angle with the, you know, to me, that yellow line on the football field <laughs> is the most amazing technology oh, yeah. advancement ever. Right. Totally like agree. It, totally. Conceptualize where they need to go. Right. <laughs> simple things. I, I guess are are the ways that you can enhance that stay at home experience as well. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, Th- that and we've got to figure out how to get everyone the drinks from the social night delivered to their house. <laughs> these companies doing that too. These Sendoso integration or something. We'll, exactly. we'll work out <laughs> exactly. Well, Anthony, this has been great. We're going to keep you around for one more short bit right after our last little pause here on the Marketers Journey. Getting your event to be differentiated is so hard. And I think platforms like Hopin are gonna help make them better events, but in some ways it's gonna take away, you know, that obvious differentiation that we can create with a vibe. And that's where it really comes into the content. It's what you bring in. And a quick story, I brought in a number of years back at a content experience event, the Connex event. I brought in a speaker. He wasn't a speaker, he was a hype man. He was a guy who takes his t-shirts off for a living at sports events. And Anthony's story of sporting reminded me of that. It's, we gotta bring those unexpected elements in. You know, when I brought this gentleman in, his name's Cameron Hughes, he made one of the most amazing impressions. Not only did I let him take his shirt off, don't worry, he had layers of it, 
but I also let him speak. And what was amazing is he was one of the best rated speakers. And we had great speakers. We had Ann Hanley, we had Jay Bear, we had fantastic speakers that keynoted, but it's that differentiation. And that's what we have to embrace is create an experience, create something that people remember, create something they go home and they talk about. For me, it was this guy, Cameron, for you and your event, think about what's gonna create that experience that people remember. So Anthony, Hoppin is, is growing like crazy. You've got customers worldwide, which probably means that you've got nonstop time zone challenges <laughs> demanding your time. Yeah. And you're only a few weeks in. I don't know if you've got the latest answer on this, but how do you make time to disconnect for your own personal priorities? Yeah, good, good question. Um, I'm getting really good at time zones, by the way. Um, that's, that's one of the <laughs> biggest lessons. You know, it's hard. I've got uh, two little kids at home, uh, two and a half and seven months. Any chance I get, I think it's been kind of nice working from home. I, I try to spend with with my family, so with with my wife or with the kids. But I don't know if I call that disconnection. Really, it's it's amazing, but like a lot of work as well as as most parents listening know. So you know, I I, I try to find time, and it's it's kind of countercultural in in our culture of hurry and busyness that we're in to for like stillness, solitude, just a chance to like quiet down, whether it's. I'll sneak out and try to do a walk in the morning, like as the sun's coming up and just kind of not with like, without my phone, without, you know, the, the connection to, to social media platforms that might be trying to uh, interfere with noise, but just to, to try to quiet my day and, and, and start, start that way. Um, so I try to do that. I'll, I'll probably do it three days a week, uh, that sort of thing, but um, it's been really helpful. Honestly, it's just a form of meditation, basically a chance to kind of disconnect and, and just start your day intentionally. Absolutely. Well, listen, with a seven-month-year-old, you're, you're not getting that quiet at home, I'm not sure. Quiet. So that, that's a good strategy. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I wish you luck in that. I wish you luck with everything coming up here at Hoppin. It is an exciting, wild ride to watch, even from the sidelines. And <laughs> you guys are making it into good, good, good event drama to watch in itself. Awesome. So congrats to you. If you've just tuned into this episode for the first time, Check out our previous, you know, probably 60 plus CMOs who have joined us on the marketer's journey, talking about how they got to where they are, how they make those decisions and how they run their team. I hope today was just a good peek into the type of journey you may be forming for yourself. And one day, hopefully you'll share it here. Until next time, this has been the marketer's journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.